Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, Les Enlumineurs listeners. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Kristen Racnello, editor, producer, and host of the Listen Lumineer podcast. In our last episode, we discussed bestsellers with a focus on the well-known Book of Hours, a favorite of ours at Listen Lumineer. However, this week, we are shifting to focus on a dramatic, unusual, and virtually unknown bestseller. This is a text focused on the miserable condition of humanity, a subject that probably seems unusual today. Unlike the Book of Hours, a popular medieval text that has retained its desirability, and unlike the Mirror of Simple Souls that was a secretly copied and reproduced text that we touched on last week, the misery of the human condition was an extremely popular with laypeople and the clergy alike but it suddenly disappeared from production in the 17th century. This special text is known as On the Misery of the Human Condition, and it has a minimum of 672 surviving manuscripts, which is a truly remarkable number. These are found mostly in monastic libraries, in schools, and in princely collections. That doesn't even include the number of printed copies of this text that survive today. Written by one of the greatest medieval popes while he was still a cardinal, the popularity and desire for this text can hardly be exaggerated. It was cited often by both Latin and vernacular authors, including Christine de Pizan, St. Bernardino of Siena, and Chaucer, and was translated into nearly every European language. Today, there are three major modern English translations of the text, one published in 1855, one in 1955, and one in 1978. I have chosen this text as a subject for us to explore together today because I became fascinated with it immediately upon encountering it. Today, there are so many attempts to connect the medieval with the contemporary, but this text is so distinctly medieval, so separate, and yet at the same time so close to today, I thought it would give us some fascinating insight into the lives, desires, and status symbols of medieval people. Returning to such an underappreciated text can give it a second life, and I hope this podcast inspires you to go out and read On the Misery of the Human Condition yourself. With chapter titles like Of the Misery of Married and Single People, or That the Life of Great Men is Short and Miserable, or On the Agonies Which the Wicked Experience in Death, perhaps it may seem easy to understand why this text fell out of fashion. And yet, I find this book fascinating precisely because it waned, because it was once deeply admired yet suddenly became unknown. Reading the pages of this book is like uncovering a secret life, a secret medieval life that is quite unpopular in neo-medieval revivals today, but that can help us get a real understanding of medieval interests, thoughts, and culture. 
On the Misery of the Human Condition is a type of text that was well established and at the height of popularity by the end of the 12th century, that is, texts that focused on the contempt of the world. There are about 300 prose works and 150 or maybe 200 poems in this contempt of the world style from this period, and about half of these are still unpublished to this day. The phrase is itself at least as old as St. Jerome, and perhaps has its origin in the stoic idea of indifference to material things, pleasure, and pain. The main themes found in works on the contempt of the world are, first, the corruption of the natural order, especially the corruption of the human body. This section often contains morbid descriptions of sickness, disease, pain, birth, and death. Second, they argue that the worldly things are dissatisfying because they're temporary. In this section, uh, almost every single author, and almost every single author was indeed male, rage against the fickleness and material attachments of women. In the third section, earthly pursuits are, by definition, they're defined as dissatisfying. And fourth is a section on the evils of the social order and on the evils within those social orders, usually understood to be the nobles, clergy, and the commons. And fifth, and finally, contempt of the world texts include a section on punishment and reward in the afterlife, and we'll see this structure play out with our text as well. So the popularity of this type of text throughout the medieval period speaks to the medieval worldview of human conditions in earthly life and the longing for the reward of the afterlife. Lothario de Sedney was influenced by this massive genre of texts, but he was particularly indebted to Bernard of Clairvaux's Meditations, the text titled Pious Meditations on the Knowledge of Human Life. Lothario took his basic schema from Bernard, structuring his first book around ingress, progress, and egress, or ingressus, progressus, and egressus in the Latin. The echoes of this text can be seen in many works of literature and in many other medieval authors' works. Chaucer, for example, wrote in The Legend of the Good Women that he had translated the, quote, wretched condition of mankind as man may and Pope Innocent find, end quote. Although Chaucer's English translation of the text does not survive, we can find sections of On the Misery of the Human Condition in his poem An Holy Meditation, which is sometimes included in manuscripts of the Canterbury Tales, and we find other sections of the text cropping up in many of Chaucer's other works. Dante Alighieri knew the work, and Spanish and German Jesuits named it as a critical text for novices and as table reading for communities. Its title also appears in the Directory of the Spiritual Exercises as late as 1591. Although this text was written in the late 12th century, it remained influential and was widely read and copied throughout the Renaissance. As noted by Donald Hayward, even, quote, the treatise of the Italian humanists on the dignity of man mentioned it with respect, offering rebuttals not to prove it wrong, but to develop the other side of its argument. 
For example, the Renaissance humanist Fernand Perez de Oliva's work, Dialogue on the Dignity of Man, reproduces many of Lothario de Segni's points directly. In this text, two friends argue over the state of humanity, with Antonio arguing for the dignity of humanity and Aurelio for the miserable state of humankind, drawing on the misery of the human condition, along with other like-minded works such as Pliny and St. Bernard's Meditations. This dialogue allows the author to contrast the two major traditions on the human condition. So before we delve further into the content of this fascinating, existentially gloomy, yet persistently popular text, I want to define exactly what I mean by using the word popular for a text that is almost completely unknown today. Some people describe the state of being popular as a condition wherein everyone likes the material or the person. Or you might be at the opposite end, thinking that, sure, being popular might mean that some people like you, but the real definition of popularity is that everyone knows you. Well, both of these perspectives form the two basic ingredients of popularity, liking and knowing. Essentially, desire and status determine the popularity of an item. When we ask, how popular was this manuscript in the medieval or renaissance period, you might assume that the answer is a simple question of numbers. But as we discussed in our last episode, the answer is not that simple, especially considering damage, repair, reuse, genre, and prestige. Despite these rather unpredictable factors, we can be certain that, when there are an extraordinary number of surviving texts from approximately the same period found in public collections, those texts once enjoyed a popular audience. On the Misery of the Human Condition has a significant number of known manuscripts, so we can be quite certain it was popular. But was this text loved for its content, or as a sign of prestige? Did people commission its production because they wanted to feel closer to Pope Innocent III and hear his inner thoughts? Because they enjoyed and agreed with the content? Because they disagreed with it, but found it useful to be familiar with its contents? Or was it perhaps because they turned to this text for consolation, for reassurance that the difficulties of earthly life would end and that a better second life awaited them after death? These kind of questions about reception cannot be answered by knowing the number of surviving manuscripts. And besides, the numbers of copies of a text that we know of for certain is always only the minimum number of surviving texts, as we discussed in our last episode. When we analyze all of the extant, and that is remaining, manuscripts of a certain text or genre, we're talking about the sociometric measurements that remain since we can't just go around to ask people in the past, did you read this? Did you like it? Do you remember your aunt quoting it to you as a child? It would be hard to measure just how many people know of the Great Gatsby or the color purple now if we were scholars living in the year 2822. You might be able to come up with a rough estimate of the number of copies published, especially if you could find documents from the major publishing houses. You might be able to recover some sense of contemporary receptions of a book, but that would be very difficult. You would have to look for mentions of the text in diaries and other such texts, passing references to the manuscript or direct quotes from it. 
on the misery of the human condition has such evidence for its popularity. It was both desired and known of, quoted widely, and spoken of with respect. But who was this author, Lothario de Segni, and what were the arguments that he made in this text on the misery of the human condition? So I'll begin with that first question. Lothario de Segni was born in Italy, in the hills to the east-southeast of Rome. His father was a member of a famous house, the Conti di Segni, or the Counts of Segni, which produced nine popes, including Gregory IX, Alexander IV, and Innocent XIII. Lothario was the nephew of Pope Clement III. His mother, Clarissa Scotti, was from the same noble Roman family. He was educated in Rome and went on to study theology in Paris and law in Bologna. He wrote this text in the year 1195. He was to go on to become Pope Innocent III just three years after completing this work, in 1198, at only 37 years old. Pope Innocent III was one of the greatest medieval popes. He worked tirelessly to reestablish and expand papal authority over the papal states, as well as expanding the role of the papacy in secular affairs. He launched crusades, created new courts and procedures to combat heresy in Italy and southern France, and presided over the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215, a council that reformed many clerical and lay practices within the church. On the Misery of the Human Condition became the classic medieval meditation on the human condition and was read throughout Europe for more than 400 years. It was printed in more than 50 editions before the 19th century, the earliest in Cologne in 1473. Its popularity is attested to by translation. This text was converted into nearly every single Romance language, German, Dutch, and even Irish. However, suddenly, in the 17th century, it fell into disregard and has remained an obscure object, scrutinized by only the most esoteric text scholars and medievalists today. In some ways, we might see this as a dead text, a text that lived through its prime and went on into a 17th century grave, but whose medieval vibrancy we can still glimpse today. So, Lothario de Sedney was not yet Pope Innocent III, but he was a cardinal at the time that he wrote this meditation, and the popularity of this text cannot ignore that Lothario's name came to be associated with the papacy through his transition into being Pope Innocent III. The views in this text are Lothario's personal views, his meditations on life, but they came to represent the overarching Catholic views on humanity, nature, and sin. Lothario de Segni was meditating on humanity from within the church, looking outward to the rest of the world. However, he is equally, if not more, critical of the clergy itself. This text was not unusual. It was not even unique, as meditations on the human condition were a well-established genre, as we discussed. Yet, Pope Innocent III, or Lothario de Sedney's text, became by far the most popular. 
This was due mostly to his great skill in pulling together theology, rhetoric, and canon law, and also to his fluid and polished writing style. So now I would like to read a few excerpts of this book with you so that you can get a sense of the flavor of this medieval best-selling manuscript and the text that you can find contained in our text manuscript 557. Remember that the book is structured by three smaller books, one on ingress or entrance into the world, one on progress or on the progress of life, and one on egress or on death and the eternal. Lothario begins the first book of the misery by asking, quote, Why did I come out of my mother's womb to see labor and sorrow, and that my days should be spent in confusion? End quote. Here he begins by questioning two of the most fundamental aspects of humanity, work and happiness, that we still struggle to pursue today. Why is there labor? Why is there sorrow? Medieval Christians believed that they were condemned to a life of toil because Adam was condemned to toil, as recorded in the book of Genesis. Throughout the Middle Ages, we see competing visions of the human condition in relation to labor. One view saw labor as a curse and a penance. The other emphasized its potential for atonement that led to salvation. Here, Lothario de Sedney falls clearly on the side of the pessimistic perspective. Labor is a burden, a curse brought on by the very sin of entry into the earthly world, a sin he articulates in later sections, including the sections on the conception of children and the brief section entitled What Kind of Food Nourishes the Child in the Womb, where Lothario writes that, quote, The child is fed on the womb actually on menstrual blood, which ceases in the female after conception so that the child in her womb will be nourished by it." End quote. The vilification of women is clear in this text, although women are also given great and terrifying power in the author's writing. Perhaps the most unusual section of this entire text is that titled, quote, of a certain horrible crime, a woman who ate her own infant, which I am not going to read from. <laughs> this seemingly random anecdote draws on Josephus's account of the siege of Jerusalem, recorded in his book, The Jewish War, written around the year 75. This was a popular story in the Byzantine world, and you can find a version of it recounted in episode 40 of the podcast Byzantium and Friends in a Halloween special episode. Many of the sections in On the Misery of the Human Condition contrast two binary opposing sides to display how all aspects of humanity are burdened with a miserable existence. In book one, those opposites include serfs and masters, married and single people, the rich and the poor, the good and the evil. Another passage from the first section of Book one, On the Miserable Entrance, will give a further flavor of the entrance book. Quote, Who then will give my eyes a font of tears to weep the miserable entrance upon the human condition, the guilty progress of human ways, and the damnable exit of human passing? Wherefore, with tears in my eyes, I shall wake up first a man is made of, second, what man does, and finally, what man is to be. For sure man was formed out of earth, conceived in guilt, born to punishment. What he does is depraved and illicit, is shameful and improper, vain and unprofitable. 
He will become fuel for the eternal fires, food for worms, a mass of rottenness. I shall try to make my explanation clearer and my treatment fuller. Man was formed of dust, slime, and ashes, what is even more vile, of the filthiest seed. He was conceived from the itch of the flesh, in the heat of the passion and the stench of lust, and worse yet, with the stain of sin. He was born to toil, dread, and trouble, and more wretched still, was born only to die. End quote. That gives us a good sense of what the very first entry is. That is, Lotario is here setting up the structure of the rest of the text. So the next book is book two, entitled The Guilty Progress of the Human Condition. This book contains thematic sections meditating on the various crimes and sins of humanity in life. There are relatively predictable sections, such as of covetousness or on the evil possession of riches, of gluttony, and on lust. But it also contains some rather unexpected sections, or at least sections that might appear unexpected to modern eyes and ears. One such section is titled Exempla Against Drunkenness. It begins, quote, Drunkenness barred Noah's private parts, committed incest, killed the king's son, and cut the throat of the commander-in-chief. Therefore, what Solomon says is true. They who give themselves to drinking and who club together shall be consumed. End quote. I like to think of the way Lothario uses quotes from the Bible in his exempla, as we just saw here, as a method of citation that would be read in a manner similar to the way we read footnotes and quotations today. Except that these footnotes are not based on empirical or observed evidence or the kinds of primary sources that we use, but they're based instead on the word of God as truth that backs up the argument Lothario is trying to make. Book two begins, quote, Men strive especially for three things, riches, pleasures, and honors. Riches lead to immortality, pleasures to shame, and honors to vanity. Hence, the Apostle John says, quote, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world, because all that is in the world is the concupiscence of the flesh. Riches beget covetousness and avarice. Pleasures give birth to gluttony and lechery, and honors nourish pride and boasting. Its final paragraph then states, what good does it do to paint chambers and embellish porches, decorate an entrance, cover a floor, stuff a bed with feathers and cover it with silks, enclosing it with a curtain or canopy? For it is written, when he shall die, he shall take nothing away, nor shall his glory descend with him. End quote. The final book is book three, titled The Damnable Exit from the Human Condition. This section deals with the moments before death, death itself, and the afterlife. The text lingers over the terrifying aspects of death, namely the decay of the body. There is even a section entitled On the Putrefaction of the Dead Body. The rest of the text following this section describes the uselessness of repentance after death, the sadness of the memories of the damned, and the darkness and punishments of hell, as well as the judgment of God. 
The final section of this book, and the entire misery of the human condition as a whole, is the section titled, That Nothing Can Help the Damned. Quote, Then will their wealth not help them, neither their honors defend them, nor their friends procure them favor. For it is written, Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. The kings of the earth shall weep and bewail when they see the smoke of the burning, because of fear of its torments. What then will you do on the day of visitation and calamity, which comes from afar? To whom will you flee for help? Everyone shall bear his own burden. The soul that sins, the same shall die. End quote. It is clear that this work was written as a personal, earnest meditation and was read as a classic text for five centuries. Although to our ears the text perhaps seems depressing, we should not take that as a sign of the author's personality. From all of the available information we have about Lothario's upbringing and education, we know that he was a refined, high-class, affable, and humorous man. Instead, when we read The Misery, we have to remember that at the core of this text, there is a vision of human wretchedness and emptiness, but behind that, Lothario presents a vision of humanity's dignity as God's special creature. Our manuscript containing The Misery of the Human Condition is a special manuscript attesting to the prolonged influence and interest in this text. It previously belonged to Joseph Pope of Toronto, who was an investment banker and prominent collector of medieval manuscripts and who died in 2010. There is even a rare book room that bears his name at the Pontifical Institute of Medieval Studies at the University of Toronto. Our manuscript was originally bound with another text, the Liber Pantheon, a collection of preaching materials. Both texts were written in a southern French or possibly Spanish Gothic book hand in relatively large script in the early 1300s. The manuscript with which this was once bound is now in the Fisher Library at the University of Toronto. The Pantheon manuscript bears provenance evidence of our manuscript of the misery as it came from a Carmelite monastery. In the later end of the 19th century, it joined the collection of Comte Paul Derieux, the distinguished art historian and collector who wrote numerous studies on some of the most famous books of ours from the late Middle Ages, including the Turin Hours, the Très Belles Heures of de Berry, the Rohan Hours, and many others. Toward the end of the 20th century, it was bought by the previously mentioned Joseph Pope, separated and rebound in the typical Joseph Pope binding. His books were bound in red morocco, or red leather, with gold and gilt black leather titling on the spine by Donald Taylor. Pope often took his manuscripts apart like this to separate out different texts for ease of archiving, accessibility, and reading. Pope is not, of course, the only collector to separate out sections of his manuscripts. For example, we know that Sidney Cockerell did the same at least once. And in this case, while Pope never fragmented the texts, we have lost the provenance of the manuscript, which is still contained in the Liber Pantheon at the University of Toronto. So, this copy from southern France or Spain was owned and may have been made for Carmelite friars, for whom this text would have been essential reading.
a fascinating slim volume filled with insights into the medieval perspective through the meditations of Pope Innocent III, this manuscript is a classic example of the popularity of the misery throughout time. It is an important historical record and a must-read text for anyone interested in medieval history and life. So, that's all for today's episode on the misery of the human condition. On March 8th, our exhibition, The Margins of Medieval Art, Questioning the Center, will open in the Chicago Gallery and online. And we have a very special episode coming out on the 16th based on this exhibition featuring an interview with Sherry Lindquist on Monsters and Margins. This April, we will be participating in both the Winter Show and the New York Book Fair, so please stay tuned for more information about our upcoming fairs, exhibitions, and catalogs. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast, and even to share this podcast on social media, or with a friend who might enjoy the episode topic. You can find out more about Books of Hours on our website, and you can reach out with comments and questions through our social media at Listening Year. Thank you for listening. 